That's right, they're playing video games for money. And I'm definitely not gonna let uh, Mass Effect in my house. The level of violence on video games. It might be hazardous to physical and mental health. Pokemon world is a world of the demonic. Then there's the argument that video games can be art. They're a world phenomenon. Welcome to Hit Point Pals, where we nerd out about video games and the culture of play. This is episode 33. I am your host, Travis Lean. With me today, we have William Suit. Hello. And Rebecca Markley. Hello, hello. You can find all our episodes at hitpointpals.com. And if you're enjoying the show, drop us a review. Let your friends know. How is everyone on this evening? I'm not used to it getting this dark this early, even though it happens every year. And my body is just like, what's going on? So yeah, that's uh, that's just rough when is to wait when to. is daylight savings time? The man, I don't even know. Isn't it like the? Oh man, I just closed my calendar because it was. Um, but it's sometime in up. November, right? Yeah. And this is yeah. the one where. This is this is the one that we this, like. This is the one that makes all of our lives better because it this gives is, us an extra hour of sleep. This is the one that's supposed to adjust it so it's not as dark as early. Yes, kinda. Yeah. What do you mean, kind of? Well, well I mean, it, it's still gonna get dark earlier, it, but it won't get as but dark. But it'll get earlier. dark an hour later. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Hey man, time is a funny. But that thing. also means it gets brighter earlier. Yes. Yes. Welcome. Why do we do this anyway? <laughs> Uh, speaking of day-night cycles, I've been playing Red Dead Redemption on an Xbox 360 that I a used Xbox 360 that I ordered from GameStop. I wanted to get caught up on this game that I haven't played because the sequel is coming to PC, which I know Will is excited about, and yes. I was also excited about. You already pre-ordered your copy, you told Indeed. me. Indeed. That means you get all of the all of the bonus like digital horses and oh, yeah. some guys like I can't, gun I can't or wait. whatever. I mean, it's not like I could not get those things, but yeah. Yeah, no, literally, because you told me because <laughs> yeah. it, it didn't let you buy the like standard version. Yeah, they do like a oh, all the editions are twenty dollars off, but what they don't tell you is you can't get the base edition. So, you, so the special edition is like sixty bucks. Like you can't just get a base version for forty. So it's like okay, interesting. I have a compulsion to like play games in sequential order for the most part. So it's one of those things where I really would like to play Red Dead Redemption 2. And now that I know it's coming to PC, I kind of like I'm trying to rush through the first game so I can like, quote unquote, be all caught up or whatever. <laughs> um, the second game is a prequel, but, uh, you know, prequels are made after other things. So by definition they'll reference the original material like i don't know if i've ever played a super like wild west centric game um that isn't like post-apocalyptic or anything mm -hmm. so it's been very interesting to like just sort of wander in this world that's supposed to be representative of like the American Wild West, and I found myself having lots of questions about this period of time that I'm like mm -hmm. very unknowledgeable about. Um, recently, I also got back into uh, playing Assassin's Creed Origins, uh, and I wrapped up the main story in that and started going into the DLC because I want to like check that off so I can eventually move on to the next game. But um, that's a game I've talked about on this podcast before where uh, I, I really admire the way that they did so much research to give you uh, like to the best of their ability this authentic recreation of ancient egypt 
where you feel really immersed in the culture of ancient Egypt. There's a lot of stuff to investigate and lore to read through, and there's a lot of like actual knowledge that you can gain from traversing this uh, world in a fictional game. And so what I'm... I, Red Dead Redemption is like... It's a Rockstar game, so I don't really expect it to have that. It's like a take on Grand Theft Auto, uh, but like set in the Wild West is how I interpret it. So like I don't expect it to have that level of historical accuracy or deep research or anything. I don't know how much they put into it, but like there's a lot of like details that make me feel like I'm I'm having somewhat of an authentic experience, like in regards to maybe what this period of time looked like. I stumbled upon this church where you can pay $2 to see a movie, so I did, and I went in and I just watched this, like, weird animated film about a guy who was selling various tonics to people. Um, it played out, like, so one of those, like, old Disney animations that you would see, like, Steamboat Willie or whatever. And then, like, money is very weird. Like, one of the first things that happens in this game is you are uh, shot... And you are uh, rescued by this woman who finds you on the road. She and like this doctor, I guess, take you in. And the, one of the first things she says to you is that like it cost her $15 to get you uh, back to health or whatever. And your guy is like, I'm very sorry. <laughs> but it's like, oh, that's not a lot of money. But I guess back then it was. I don't know. I don't really have any points of reference. There's a lot of interesting political discussion too like one in the very opening cinematic you are on a train and there are a lot of npcs having conversations about the savage people and how like scary they are and how like ignorant they are and how it's a good thing that we came to like tame the savage people and brought them new technology and stuff so like right off the bat the game sets up this idea of yeah we like fucked with the native peoples i i have i'm only a few hours into the game so i have yet to see i haven't encountered any native peoples actually yet so i'm I'm curious how that is going to play into the narrative of this game uh yeah this is a really old game but i have like avoided story discussion and stuff so like there's only a little bit i know and it's kind of this mystery at the beginning like slowly my guy is dishing out details about who he is and what his mission is, but I don't really know what it is right now. I'm just kind of in this tutorial phase where the woman who rescued me is like, this is how you rope a horse. And it's like, oh, okay, this is weird. I don't really know what's going on, but this is fun. And I like wandering around and finding buried treasure and shooting up outlaws and, and roping them and taking them in for their bounties. I'm interested in your compulsion to have to play games in order. Yeah. Like, have you <laughs> played games, like, out of order and then replayed them in order to, like, compare the play experience at all? Or is it just something that you've always, like, attempted or tried to do? No, for the most part, I've always attempted, like, uh, one game that I played that I didn't play the, like, original games in was uh, Deus Ex Human Revolution. Because I tried to play the original Deus Ex, and it was just, like, giving me a headache because of how old <laughs> it was. So, And that was a case where I was like, the, like, Human Revolution is very highly praised, and it looks like a very different experience than these older games. And I think I'm just going to play Human Revolution, even though I'm probably going to be missing out on a few minor, like, references or connections here and there. 
and because Will had played the older games, I would always ask him for his input. <laughs> uh, I mean, they're set so far apart. You, like, you're, you're pretty much right. There's just some small nods, and they're not really... I wouldn't call them, like, like really important. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. I mean, that's probably how Red Dead Redemption 2 to 1 would be. Um, but it was also one of those games that, like, I've had an urge to play for a long time, but just I haven't had the system to play it on. I even tried, like, emulating, but, like, there's a long and storied history of, being, like, emulating these systems being very difficult, um, especially, like, game to game, and Red Dead Redemption is, like, a game that is, I, I don't know, it must be very heavy on, like, processing demand or something, because, like, over the years, people maintaining these, like, wildly large emulation projects have had a lot of trouble with certain games, and Red Dead Redemption has always been one of them. Um, but, like, not a bad deal to get an old Xbox 360 for 40 bucks, and then a copy of the game for 20 bucks so i just you know i paid 60 bucks for an old game i guess but uh yeah it's neat i'm i have a lot of questions about like the american wild west as this sort of like fantastical period even though it wasn't all that long ago really mm -hmm. and how people have like these tonics and there's like snake oil and like the, i guess in red dead redemption 2 one of the things in the pre-orders is like you can get these like totems or whatever and it's like a cat's eye or like a raven's beak and it, it gives you like plus 10 accuracy or whatever it's like what's going on is this what people really did in the wild west yeah okay for like mechanics it's like oh it's a little thing that people might wear maybe that'll be fun for gameplay but i guess at first when i hear that it's like yeah that's absurd but then i think like yeah but now we've got people who are like you know into crystal healing and all this other stuff thing. yeah it's like <laughs> oh, it's not that I mean, it's not that hard to believe that, like, back then they would have had maybe some other things that they're like, oh, keep this on you for good luck or keep this for whatever else. Yeah, I yeah, know for me, like, my my dad, like, watches a lot of Westerns uh, and, like, exposed <laughs> me to a lot of, like, Western film content as a kid. And I never really liked them much. I don't really know why. I think, like, there's certain movies that I enjoy, but, like, the, uh, like Westerns are such a... They have like such a specific thematic aura that it's mm -hmm. like <laughs> you like you boot up Red Dead Redemption and it's like, oh, yeah, it's like it's just like a Western. And there's like certain like tropes that Westerns have to have. And it's I just find that whole genre very interesting and weird. Especially because it's a setting that has become a genre. Yeah. And it's like mm -hmm. not that far like removed from us in terms of like historical time periods that are frequently explored. Mm hmm. When does the end of the Wild West happen? Like, uh, I don't know. Is like, it like 1900s? Somewhere in there. I think Red Dead Redemption 1, I remember reading some stuff on it. It takes place in like 1910 or 19-something. Oh, mm -hmm. okay. So that must be like, that, I mean, it had to have ended around there, I, I feel. I honestly have no idea. Like, I, I never actually thought about this. Which is interesting, because then that means like 10 years later, you've got like the Roaring Twenties, and then yeah. we have a very different, the image we have, the like the popular image of the 1920s is, you know, like, so different from like, what was going on in the West, probably. Was, was there the Wild West during like World War One then? Huh. <laughs> I I guess so. I mean, parts of the country still weren't states. I mean, they I, would I think. They, yeah, you would have to like consider parts of that time period and like, well, what do we define as the Wild West then? 
Mm-hmm. Is it just like uh, this period of time when yeah, stuff was still unincorporated like and people were like building their homesteads and it was lawless country. There were, there were no <laughs> laws. You could kill a man. I guess just from like the blurb from Wikipedia, American Frontier um, began with English colonial settlements in the early 17th century and ended with the admission of the last remaining Western territory territories into the states in um, 1959. Wow. Okay. That doesn't <laughs> seem right. <laughs> it seems like way too recent. Yeah, I don't know how to think about the Wild West. The dates it has it for, there's like 1607 to 1912 for territorial <laughs> expansion, and okay. then um, 1850 to 1920 for the myth of the Old West. So I think that's okay. what we're okay, so that's okay. It. Okay. Yeah. You know, the, okay, hmm, that's interesting, because like with that 1920s thing, yeah, when I think of 20s, I think of like, yeah, like flappers, certain haircuts, maybe like the lead up to Prohibition. Like that kind of thing, but then it's like, well, that would be like the big cities. What about mm-hmm. like rural Texas? It would be closer to like the old West. And that's uh-huh. just that's weird to me to think about those two things existing around the same time. Yeah. Or like, I don't know, Idaho or something. Yeah. Despite the fact even now there's like a very obvious cultural and like d- like just difference between like Portland and Seattle and like a small town in Montana. Like mm-hmm. there's a huge difference there, but. I don't know. That that to me isn't as shocking as people from the 20s existing, like the culture in the cities and out in rural wherever. Uh-huh. I feel like I just imagined uh-huh. the 20s were exactly like the Great Gatsby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sick parties. Yep. Uh, I was I was learning about the uh, the the very real feral hog like. Uh, <laughs> oh, Yeah uh disaster i guess that is going on in texas and how like the guy who made that very funny tweet (laughs) was actually like he was talking about like real issues and Mm -hmm. like i heard an interview with him that which was very surreal where like he was a very good sport and he thought that everyone's like he thought that everyone's jokes and memes about the 30 to 50 feral hogs tweet were very funny but he also wanted to like he also wanted people to understand that like yeah, feral hogs are out there and they're like ruining crops and they're like ruining people's lives and people have to go out at night to like kill thousands of feral hogs <laughs> because they're such like and like it sounds so funny because it's like hogs. But like the more I read about it and, and listened to it on these podcasts and, and watched stuff about it, like the more it was like, wow, I like I have no idea about a lot of elements of like rural living in America. Mm hmm. A lot of stuff to think about. What have other people been thinking about? I'll go. Um, I this week I discovered this um sort of anthology of I guess D and D adventures that are based off of like classic female mythological archetypes. So like hags and harpies and mm-hmm. like dryads and like medusas. And um, wait, which, is Medusa a person or is Medusa a creature that there are multiple of? Um, I think originally a person, but then in like the D and D universe, it's like you have okay, that oh. makes sense. Like these monsters, I bought it on the DM skill because I was like, wow, that seems really really cool, and I love hags. They're like one of my probably like favorite D and D 
um, monsters because there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with them where like if you have one hag that's by itself, it's much weaker. But if you have it with like a coven of like three or more, you can get like way more spells and they're just like really mean and nasty. Um, and there's just like lots of really fun lore built into that. Um, but I got the, the just like the PDF version because they also do have like a printed like hard copy book, which is also really cool. Like, I don't know, it was a bit more expensive, um, but it was put together by a woman named like Ashley Warren. Um, and she does sort of um, like she is a writer and, and does um, other sorts of like tabletop adventure writing, that kind of thing. But it was sort of it was put together, which is like a whole bunch of other like um, women writers who put together this anthology and like the illustrations are absolutely gorgeous and it has like fun, you know, sort of just like vignettes and, and adventures about, um, you know, like harpies and hags. And I'm pretty excited to get to explore these um, like more in depth with like in, in game. Um, mm -hmm. But they span, you know, from like level one characters up through like fourth tier, which is like the, the when you're like level 15 and above and you're really strong and crazy. Um, I guess there's, yeah, there was only like one of those from um, I guess tier four. Most of them are tier one and two. That's where most people play, honestly. But um, yeah, and the, there are two volumes. I just purchased the first volume, um, but I probably will purchase the second one at some other point. Um, when, maybe when I get through this one a little bit more, I get to use it in-game. Um, but I'm pretty excited about all of the content because... It's so much easier sometimes when you are running games and you just kind of like want to like pick and choose specific storylines, just like throw in as more interesting things. So you aren't just like rolling on like random encounter tables and having to like create things on the seat of your pants or flying by the seat of your pants the whole time. So, yeah, I'm excited about that. Um, and then, what does that mean? Is that like a reference to airplanes? Like if, if you didn't have a seat flying by the seat of your pants? I have no idea. All right. That is sort of related to um, the second thing that I wanted to bring up, which is also D&D related. But um, I just had a meeting and sort of was asked to run a test game with this organization called Orcs, Orcs, Orcs. They do D&D pop-ups in Portland um, like once a month. They're trying to increase it to more than once a month. Um, and so you just, you like are a professional dungeon master for the night and you run at a like restaurant and you're fed dinner and you get drinks and like you play for the, these people who come and play, they pay to play and they have a fancy dinner, like a pop-up event. And then you play D and D huh. and um, yeah, I'm pretty excited because like orcs does a lot of really cool charity organization or charity events and they, um, put on they're like asked to run games for like the decemberists and and crazy shit like that um they had like a table at rose city comic con and they did a couple of live games there which is also really cool um so yeah i just get to be a part of this other sort of larger D, &D community outside of like my own table um and that's i don't know i'm really really excited about that i didn't know you could monetize uh D, &D. I, no I guess way. you can. I was thoroughly shocked <laughs> that people would 
would pay to play because you could just do it at your house. But I guess, you know, if you want like dinner, if you want it to be like a whole experience or something like that, it would make sense. I think uh, there should be an app kind of like Uber, but it's for D&D. &D. <laughs> so you would post to like hire a dungeon master and they would like come to your house and they would mm -hmm. do the dungeon mastering for you and your friends. Obviously, you'd have to probably book them in advance. Yeah. I couldn't do it on the fly. No, it's or just like Uber. The, <laughs> they have yeah, to get there in like seven minutes. They have they have a go kit at the seat of their bed, and then when they get a request, they just jump in their car with their like pre-made campaign. Uh-huh, and like the boxes of minis all ready to go and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they, they show up and they have like some business professional stuff that they're supposed to go through and say. Uh, DM for Travis? <laughs> yes. yes. Come on in. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good idea nobody steal it okay <laughs> very mm. cool was there anything else rebecca or um no cool. i that that was that was all the things that i had to say all right well will you've written finishing the long journey through drangleic and i think i know what that is indeed um well travis and i uh have been playing dark souls 2 scholar of the first sin for a while now yeah i don't remember when weeks, we started probably. yeah we've been playing through it like maybe once every other night once a night somewhere in there for like a couple of hours um it's been fun it's been really cool uh i am really ready to be done with that game though yeah it's getting am, to the point where we've been in it for quite some time i'm reaching this point where i don't know it's uh i'm just kind of tired of it I would just rather move on to the sequel, even though it's like the same thing. I just, I'm tired of Dark Souls 2. Yes. I've got too many things in my inventory. Leveling up at this point is just is so useless feeling. I feel like, I don't know. I'm just so ready for that game to be done. But it's been a blast. It's been a really fun co-op experience. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a big hoot. Yeah, we played a bit uh, last night and it was funny because it was... Yeah, I feel like it was the first time where I was just, like, way too frustrated at the amount of times I was getting killed and not making any progress. But, like, up until that point, I felt like I had really been enjoying Dark Souls 2, and I was definitely liking it a lot more than the first game, because there were a lot of quality of life improvements. Mm -hmm. um, like, I'd heard people say that, like, out of the three games, Dark Souls 2 is the worst, and also this idea that, like, because the main... What was the name of the of the creator of Dark Souls? Oh, uh, I don't know. I, I think his last name is like Miyazaki. Oh, Miyazaki, yeah. And I don't know his first name. But like Miyazaki was not involved in Dark Souls 2 because he was busy making Bloodborne. And so there was this idea that like Dark Souls 2 wasn't as good of a game because it didn't have his involvement. Uh, I, there's a lot of people who believe that, I guess. I like Dark Souls 2 a lot more than the first game, personally. Um, there's a lot of... I think there's a lot of really good humor in Dark Souls 2 that I was surprised by because like Dark Souls games are very surreal and I think the first game didn't attempt to do anything funny with its like dark and surreal world but the second game mm -hmm. definitely has some really good humor. Uh, there's a guy in the home in like the hub world who offers to build you a ladder into this pit and he ha you get three options that you can pay him. And I he says something like, you get what you paid for. So, like, I assumed that if you paid him the smallest amount, the ladder would not 
be very good so i did just as a joke and he i think made a ladder with like three rungs and this is like a pit that you can't see the bottom of <laughs> so i think that's like one of the most like overt examples of humor in dark souls 2 but there's just other things that i just find very funny like people leave messages like attack here and you do and you like you kill an invisible ghost and he drops an item oh yeah i mean i haven't played dark souls 3 really so i don't really know how that one compares but yeah i am still i like dark souls 1 a lot more than 2 and i uh -huh. feel like my opinion of 2 has been dropping as we've been playing it <laughs> We have encountered so many bosses that are just big person in armor. Yeah. I want some fantastic critters, but it's just like big dudes. Yeah, I and yeah, I agree I, with that. I, I yeah, I mean there's some nice yeah, there's nice quality of life stuff. Um but there's some things that like I, I don't know, I don't like the way the world is laid out. Like in Dark Souls One, if I like woke up in the world of Dark Souls One, I could walk from one place to like the end of the game because I can just I can just picture it in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Dark Souls 2, you can kind of fast travel from the beginning. All the places are kind of branches in different directions from the hub. I don't really know how they all connect. If yeah. you ask me how to get from one place to another, I would just say, I don't know, fast travel. They, they do connect, though. It's oh, just yeah, that, they, like, they, you they, only they really connect. go through the connections once, because fast yeah. travel is available from the beginning. Yeah, and there's no real reason to, like, walk through these routes. And, I mean, in Dark Souls 1, it is, like, kind of annoying at first when you don't have fast travel and you have to run everywhere but then when you do unlock that fast travel you've already been everywhere on foot so many times that you don't mind doing it at least i didn't it certainly has that dark souls element of like oh well of course you can't access that you need the gabungi key from this character that you need to find through an illusory wall and it's like how is anybody supposed to figure half of this stuff out like it's just, it's so absurd, but I, I oddly enough enjoy that of just like, what cryptic shit is this? And then having to go online and read up on it and go, oh, that's, oh, oh okay, interesting. Yeah, like, how do you start the DLCs? Well, you have to go into this place in the <laughs> muck, and you have to kill some giants, and then you have to get How do the, I get like... to the giants? Oh, you gotta jump off a cliff that looks like it'll kill you, and then you'll land on a platform. It's like, okay. Who thought this was, like, a great idea? I, I think that the second game feels larger. Like, it feels like there's more areas. And yeah. it feels like a bigger and longer game. Especially mm -hmm. with the three DLCs. I, like, I always like the way that there... It feels to me in all of these Dark Souls games that there's a lot of detail put into the individual areas... Minus, like, some really egregious examples in Dark Souls 1. Mm -hmm. um, but it's like these these games aren't traditional in the sense of, of, like, you're running through levels. They're built for you to go through these levels many, many times because you die many, many times. So it's like these areas are pretty small, but they feel large just because of how hard it is to get through them. It has this cool element of, like, really slow-paced exploration that I enjoy where, like, sometimes if I'm not ready or if I feel like I'm I'm not ready to go around this corner and do this battle that I keep getting killed in, I'll just wander around and uncover a lot of weird stuff. Maybe some hidden passages or, like, maybe some alternate routes. Um, or an optional boss. Or an optional boss. I guess you don't really know if the boss is optional until you've killed it. Yeah. Which is funny. 
Oh, that is funny. But yeah, I'm also ready to be done with Dark Souls 2. Just in time for Halloween. Yeah. Uh, we should I, have this game... Oh, sorry, what was it? Oh, I was just going to say, um, how, the month of October, I learned, is like an annual thing for the Bloodborne community. Oh. Uh, it's, I don't know the name of it because I don't know the name of the Bloodborne world, but it's like Return to and then whatever the name of the world is. But yeah, I guess every year they try to like get everyone to go play Bloodborne for the month of October. So there's like a lot of active players around this time. That's cool. Yeah. That's neat that there's community events like that. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, at the current rate we're going, we should have Dark Souls 2 done in like... I don't know we've got one more dlc to beat and then finish the game like the base game i mean that i feel we've pretty much found almost everything it had a long and arduous journey it has been one hell of a long journey and i started as a man and now i'm a woman <laughs> that's true i started as a man became a woman realized i looked hideous and then went back and became a man again yeah so that's been a that's been a hoot wow uh, but yeah we should have that game uh, done and buried in no time at all. Very cool. Uh, nice. this, yeah. this this week on the podcast, we decided that we were going to talk a little bit about some things we've heard about the next generation of PlayStation console, backwards compatibility, and just the idea of like game remasters. I don't really know where this conversation is going to go, but I guess we're going to take a break. And we'll find out after the break. So we'll be right back. Yes. And we're back. So, um, when was it? Like a last week or so? Yeah, last week, Wired had another PlayStation details exclusive about the what we now know i guess is the playstation 5 and or is called the play we assumed that it was going to be called the playstation 5 and now we know that it is called the playstation 5 um, and among other things to do with like hardware and a bunch of fancy stuff like hey it supports ray tracing which i i kind of assumed that was a given but um a thing that we now know is that the studio bluepoint who is known for remaking and remastering a lot of games like shadow of the colossus uh for ps4 the uncharted collection for also ps4 i think i have that i don't know why i said i think um and the uh the metal gear solid hd collection um blue point is working on a game for the ps5 i i think it'll it'll probably be something i assume that launches with the ps5 and all they really said is that like it's something very big and a game that people have been wishing for a long time would be brought to new gen is like with the popular with the with like the 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 roaring success of dark souls people have really wanted the predecessor to dark souls demon souls to make its way back in some form and i wonder if blue points remaster is a demon souls remaster for ps5 and that'll be like a day one game for ps5 it's so early working off of rumors and stuff but no yeah. but like is that something you'd want to play i mean i don't even know if I, I would get a 
a, a PlayStation Five, but that that on its own, yes, right, yeah, absolutely. That sounds very neat. There's um there's this idea that I guess here here's what the source of the idea is. There's a reporter who um he's part of the podcast Waypoint Radio, which is a the Vice Games podcast, and a reporter who has a lot of like inside knowledge about things and a lot of background knowledge about things and something that he communicated on an episode uh a, a week or so ago was that the PlayStation 5 has this emphasis on not just the future but also the past what he was able to actually say it sounds like Sony is kind of putting this emphasis on bringing back older properties and I don't know what form that's in whether it's like new entries in a series or like literal backwards compatibility which is the thing that i've had a lot of questions about over the years and a lot of people have in regards to different consoles like the switch the switch is something that i've always been angry about like like the the wii had backwards compatibility with the gamecube and then the wii u did not have the wii u had backwards compatibility with the wii but not gamecube and then the switch had no backwards compatibility with the wii u um and it's one of those things where I'm always curious, like, what companies, uh, not what companies, I'm always curious why companies decide to do what they do in terms of, like, gating off certain content or, like, not allowing access to certain content or whether it's, like, limitations that they're working with. I mean, I, I guess in some cases, like, some of it makes sense to a degree, like, the Switch is a completely different, like format yeah. for like their games are on a little card so it's like you oh, can't bring your your discs over because they just you can't and then with playstation i guess the playstation 3 was apparently really famous for having or infamous for having like a very hard architecture to program for so i'm assuming the reason there wasn't any back compat with the ps3 was that developers and like Sony themselves were just like, we don't want to figure out like how to reverse engineer this thing we made to then run those games on this new machine. Just it would be easier to rebuild everything than it would be to support this old hardware. Oh, how does one do like backwards compatibility? Like, would you just re-release the games or would you just have the the hardware within the well, yeah, I mean, that. okay, so that's what backwards compatibility is mm -hmm. in, like, a technical sense, is, like, this piece of hardware has the ability to play games from the previous generation's hardware. Okay, okay. Like, you could put, when the Wii came out, you could still, you you could put a GameCube disc in it, right? Mm-hmm. And it would play it just fine. <laughs> um, I guess I'm curious what people here think about the concept of remasters and how it's kind of a genre of games on its own almost it feels like i think it's interesting because you know the only the main reason they exist is because there's no access to the original mm -hmm. but and they just do some minor touch-ups and that that's cool and people get excited for those i sometimes get excited for them but that's something that i don't think you you see as much or is driven at all by like pc or computers because I can run something from like the nineties on my computer. Not sure why I would, but I can, mm -hmm. but like, you can't do that with like a home console. So if you want to experience, like maybe there's a classic game you've heard about, like maybe that shadow of Colossus game for PS2, mm -hmm. but that's several generations ago. Are you really going to go out and buy like a PS2 and this physical copy of this one game? 
a lot of people probably wouldn't but then there's like a remake or a remaster and it's like oh now they have access to this thing so i think on the whole i'm I'm pretty positive about remasters sometimes games get remastered and i wonder like who well sometimes wants it's like game? too early or does it make sense like the resident evil games or the skyrim that's always being re-released yeah mm-hmm. and i guess it and makes it's... sense from like a like a capitalism standpoint oh yeah i mean well yeah absolutely but i like i'm not 100 percent sure who the audience is a lot of the time like the intended audience like i don't know if anyone goes out to buy a switch because they want to play resident evil 4 on the switch i mean it's probably just for people who have those systems who have not like played these games right and then with these re-releases, it's like, oh, cool. Now it's on my platform that I do use. Now I can play it. Hooray. Yeah, I would assume that it's like a much smaller audience of the people who already have that particular platform. Mm-hmm. Because are there any remasters that you guys have enjoyed? Or like, are there remasters that you thought did a good, like did something interesting with the game? Because I think most of my gaming has been on a PC so I can just play older games. Um, I guess, I don't know. I think I got like a digital download for like a Skyrim remaster, but I never played that because <laughs> I just didn't really care. Yeah, Skyrim is Sky, Skyrim is the one where like a number of years ago they updated it to Skyrim Special Edition. Yeah. And at that point it was already kind of like a worn out thing because people I, I had played it so much already. Mm-hmm. um but like i i don't know if did they delist the old skyrim like i i feel like they wanted they intended it to be like a replacement right i have no idea i just know my brother was really excited about it because he was like yeah it's so much prettier and i was like it was marginally cool. nicer looking <laughs> it was like okay this isn't like this isn't anything mind-blowing uh a weird thing that will and i were looking at the other day was resident evil director's cut yeah apparently it was like a release of that game on the PlayStation 1, like that the console Resident Evil 1 came out on, but apparently it was like the second or third release of that game on the same hardware. Hmm. Just hmm. with like the like a, a support for like a different controller and like it had new music, which was pretty bad, but <laughs> it was just like wow, wow, like I can't imagine releasing a game that many times on the same hardware. <laughs> I guess that's was- like buying like oh i bought the new gumball adventure movie on dvd but now the director's cut is also on dvd and now they've got the extended unrated cut as well it's like <laughs> the same thing on the same stuff multiple times it's like you've been punished for buying it too early it, yeah does anyone have any games that they want to be remastered that haven't been ah uh, i would like a remaster of morrowind the elder scrolls 3 I would also like a remaster of Morrowind. Um, other remasters I'd like. Um, there, like there is the Morrow what Morrow Sky Skywind the Skywind project. Yeah. Oh yeah. That the seems mod to be for, uh, yeah where yeah. they're they've been putting out uh, update videos pretty frequently, and it seems like they're doing uh they're making really good progress on that, and it, it looks to me like it might be the first of these big ambitious elder scrolls crossover projects to actually get a release i say that like fingers crossed i guess and i Um, guess there's also the uh open morrowind project which is kind of it's like you know i mean it doesn't look really nice but it's 
just bringing it, making it so Morrowind is actually like playable on modern hardware just fine. Yeah, there's Daggerfall mm-hmm. Unity as well, which has the same yeah. intent. But like, I feel like Bethesda, if they did release a, like an actual Morrowind remaster, that uh, like that would make them so much money. Oh yeah, absolutely. At least for me, at least. Yeah. <laughs> I'd buy it many times over. People would just go um, very crazy. I'd like a Dungeon Lords remaster. There is a Dungeon Lords remaster. There are two, actually, but I want... Well, you could even argue there are three, but I want another one. Why? I want it to be even better. I, I No, I want a Dungeon Lords remake. That's what I want, not a remaster. In, yeah, in Unreal. Yeah. <laughs> I like how I bring up remaster. You're like, that's absurd. Bring up remake? Yeah. Oh, yeah. In Unreal? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, hell yeah. Didn't I'd we have that. a discussion about the difference between a remaster and a remake? I think once, yeah. yeah. What can was you, it again? Can you, can you refresh my memory? <laughs> I think a, re- a remaster, I believe, is like, um, like we're gonna take like original, like, uh, like with a movie, we're gonna remaster this one old movie. We're gonna take the original prints and actually like get good, like, you know, we're we're gonna get high quality prints and put that on like high quality Blu-ray. It's the same thing, but it just looks higher quality than your VHS and DVD release. With a remaster, I'm assuming it's like that on a game where, all right, it's the same game, but we're going to maybe do some minor tweaks and increase the resolution and maybe use better textures that we had that we couldn't use. Yeah, it's a lot more explicit on consoles too, where it's like, yeah. hey, maybe we had this older gen console that only was like in SD, like the GameCube. And so mm-hmm. that's what the textures were capped at. But now we have like a newer generation console that's in HD. And so we're giving you like better textures because we had those available already yeah and i and i believe remake would be rather than like we're going to take the original film print and just like make a higher quality like version of it available for home video it would be like we're going to reshoot this movie with all new actors all new assets it's going to be a whole new thing so like a remaster is like a touching up of uh the original and then a remake is just like you're redoing it pretty much yeah I think cool. a better word for remake is like reimagining. That way it's yeah. it's less easy to get the two terms mixed up, I think. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people aren't very clear on like the difference between a remaster and a remake, especially in like gaming. Um, because like when Dark Souls Dark Souls one got a remaster, mm-hmm. which was pretty bare bones, but it was a remaster. And a lot of people were like, wow, it looks like Dark Souls 1. They called this a remaster. And it's like, yes, of course they call it Dark Souls 1. It's a remaster. I get there are some complaints with it, but it's just like, wow, this does not look very good. And it's like, neither did Dark Souls 1. But they wanted like a remake. And people just like use those interchangeably. Despite the fact they are completely different. I mean, that's like watching a remaster of like a 70s movie and going like, wow, now this looks like it was made in the 70s. It's like, yes, you're not a genius for pointing that out. That's obvious. You're an idiot. Of course. (laughs) Heck yeah. I really like Resident Evil 2 Remake. That's a good game. Very good. It's a very cool game. I need to, I still need to beat one of the campaigns. (laughs) Oh shit, damn. You still haven't beaten Claire? No, I haven't beaten Claire. I did I did Leon campaign and then I started Claire, but I didn't get around to finishing it because Dang. I kept getting very stressed out by Mr. X even though I'd already played I'd already gotten away from him once. Is like he doesn't get any less scary. Yeah. I want uh, a remake of Resident Evil 3 because I I don't even know like what that two. game looks like. 
I don't know either. I've never played it. I, I think it looks like the original Resident Evil 2. I think they came out around the same time. I but want a, a remake of Silent Hill. That'd be cool. I want to find my son in the fog. Excuse me, have you seen my son? Wait, isn't it your daughter? <laughs> I don't know. I never played it because I don't oh, okay. have access to it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> Man, I don't know. Shit. All right, Rebecca, what's your favorite Silent Hill? My favorite oh, Silent Hill. Yeah, well, I mean There's we're like all big Silent Hills, right? We're all big Silent Hill fan. I mean, tra- I mean Travis has played almost all. He's big onto the whole. I have fog never played lore. a Silent Hill game. I know all about the the hills and silence. I mean, we're all we're all big. Fans. I've seen a Silent Hill movie. I <laughs> okay. I I have no idea what Silent Hill is. Hey, welcome to the party. All right, <laughs> hell yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to explain what Silent Hill was, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't really know either. Oh, <laughs> that's right. that's why I said we're all big fans. We're all we all on that fog lore, all the silence. Yeah, there's monsters in the fog. There's hills in the fog too. Are there? Is there war in the fog? <sighs> That'd be cool. This is this is, this is tricky. There's a uh, there's my... a dog, I think. Yeah. If you do some, if you, I don't know, there's like a, there's <laughs> if like you a, do something, there's a dog in the phone. <laughs> no. I want to do a little something. <laughs> My only experience with Silent Hill is like, I played a little of Silent Hill 1 and a little of Silent Hill 2. Yeah, I've never too. beat either of them, so I don't, there's fog and it's spooky. Rogue Squadron 2 uh, needs a remake. Or just another game like it. I've had, I'm, I'm keeping an eye on Everspace 2. Because the way it's being pitched is it's like this big open world, um, like space fight adventure. And I like the way that Everspace One plays. Um, the story in Everspace One is bad. And so, like, if they're able to take those sort of like space flight mechanics of Everspace One and do something good with the story and the world, I'll really love Everspace Two, I think. Like, because there's this sort of void in my life for a good space flight game ever since rogue squadron which is a game i put a lot of time into as a kid the second one specifically um i don't know i've never played the first rogue squadron i think i i think i tried like a pc version of it that came out on gog or something um but it was like too old for my eyes i was like i, I don't understand there's like only like three polygons what is this is this a spaceship um and then I think I played a little bit of Rogue Squadron 3. Rogue Squadron 3 has Rogue Squadron 2 in it as its co-op mode, which I think is very funny and good. And I know Will and I have tr- at least attempted to play it. It's really yeah. weird. It was really weird on like a, like an SD television, though. I think we did beat the co-op. We probably did. We've beaten like a lot of GameCube split-screen games which is just hard in our to, lives. Like, man, they looked rough. But we didn't think that as kids. We thought this was. We thought graphics couldn't get any better than this. Yeah, which is like a a weird, constantly moving bar. Like, as a kid, you know, you, you look at something and you're like, "Wow, now this is real life. Wow, this can't get any better." And now, like 10, 15 years later, you look back at it and go, "Wow, I realize why I didn't like why I needed glasses because this <laughs> stuff looks terrible." I feel like even a few years later, you can still go back and be like, oh, God. Yeah, like even stuff from like five years ago, it's like, oh, I can see where like big improvements have been made. And it's just like, 
it's so fascinating to me because at the time that I like, I have no idea of how to improve it, but there's engineers out there who are like, what do you mean? This thing looks like shit. We need to make it look better. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. I'm always curious what the, the, like the big companies who were in charge of like engineering, all of that sort of stuff. Like what do they want to achieve in the end? Or, like, what are they driven yeah. by? Like, are they driven by some sort of vision of the future? Is it purely sort of this, like, cyclical money-grabbing thing where it's like they know people will buy the newer stuff? But it can't be just that, right? Because they are people are doing, like, things that are visible. I want to say improvements. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's, like, an objective term to use in terms of graphics, but because there's many different routes you can take with the art direction of a game. And it doesn't all point towards photorealistic, but um, I guess mm. I'm, I, yeah, I'm always curious, like, what people want to accomplish. Like, is there an end goal or is it just sort of this linear thing where we just keep doing stuff because we can, regardless of whether or not we actually need to? Because I feel like if you are trying to get towards something that is more like photorealistic, then when it's photorealistic, I think... But I guess our perception of what is photorealistic has changed as, you know, we've seen improvements to, yeah. you know, graphics and animation and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And with like the whole photorealistic um, Lion King. The live action Lion King. <laughs> yeah, the live action Lion <laughs> all these King. these real lions. Oh. Um or the when, the, when that's when that's out on Blu-ray or whatever, I need to watch it. I just need to see what this looks like, and mm -hmm. I have, had no intention of going to a theater to see <laughs> what I imagine would be yeah. an absolute mess. If no one has any more <laughs> thoughts about photorealism or not photorealism, if any, if no one has any more thoughts about the PS Five and like, what about just like the general concept of next gen? That's where I kind of meant for this conversation to end up. Uh oh, oh okay. Um. Well, I haven't played any of the consoles from this gen, mm -hmm. um, but I guess pretty much the same as the other gens, just like more power, faster. I'm not sure. But I feel like even if you don't, like even if you don't, even if you're like very PC focused and don't interact with consoles or own consoles, I feel like the way that consoles advance has... A, has always had a direct impact on how PC tech also advances. Uh, yeah, and I just mean, just like considering the like, way the sa the same companies are publishing your multi platform games and the business practices that they change over time affects the way that you also consume games. But I think also like back in the PlayStation Three and the Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty, they both had very different like processing architectures, and they were very different from from like PCs, like. Some games would be made for them and they couldn't come to PC. Some games on PC were impossible to put on consoles. Some games from consoles that were put on PC were kind of shoddy. But like Xbox One and PlayStation 4 like use AMD graphics cards or like AMD processors. They're pretty similar to PCs. Was there so like before this gen, was it were there just like a lot more people making these components and now the market is just kind of minimized? I, I maybe I think it also might be that case of like with a games market being on so many platforms, it becomes a lot easier if there's some parity or like some similarity between all the architectures that like 
Because I think Sony used to make their own processors for all of their consoles. And now they have one of the two companies make them. Yeah, and I'm assuming that's because, like, we could be spending this money in R&D on something else for our mm-hmm. company, and we could just, like, buy a different processor that all we know already is compatible with a lot of other things. I'm assuming Xbox did that, too. I think they switched architecture type. Microsoft is already, like... I mean, they dominate the home computer market. They were just like, yeah, let's use like that same type of architecture, I'm assuming. And that had that benefit of multi-platform games are easier to make because they all pretty much run on everything anyway. They just need to do some tweaks. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm assuming this next generation, like with this talk about PlayStation 5 backwards compatibility, it'll be more of the same. They'll be on that same architecture. I think the games market, like... I don't, I don't know. It'll just be like more powerful and faster. And I think there's a lot of like synthesis between the PC gaming market and the home console gaming market more so than there was like 10 years ago. Yeah. And I expect that to continue with like more cross play and stuff like that. Do you think things are going to get like more simplified? Because I mean, right now we just have as far as processors go, like no one competes with AMD or Intel. Like, does one of those get eaten up at some point? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't think so. I feel like... This is weird th- to that... think of a time, like, like generations ago when, like, people weren't using one of those two processors in their consoles. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming if one of them does lose out, another competitor, maybe from China, will swoop in. I'm, I'm assuming there will always be some sort of competition in that field. I think, I mean, I don't know. I'm not, you know, an analyst there, but yeah, I, I assume. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, whereas going from like PS3 and Xbox 360 to Xbox One and uh, PS4 was like a big change, I think, in like how home consoles work. PS4 to PS5 and Xbox to whatever the next one will be. Um, Xbox Two. Uh, I'm assuming that won't be as big of a like seismic shift. Right. Like, I cannot imagine it being, like, that transformative. Aside from maybe, like, what this load time... I got heard talk about, like, faster load times and stuff. But aside from that, I just don't see the next generation being super transformative. Yeah, I feel like these days I see a lot more emphasis on multi-platform, even with indie games. Where Mm -hmm. it's, like, a lot of times they'll launch on PC first, and then months later they announce, like, we're doing a Switch port, or we're, like, we're coming to consoles later. And people yeah. seem to want to bring most things to consoles. Even like Paradox is trying to bring all their strategy games to consoles. It feels like uh, I yeah. don't know how I well also that guess works, but like going to like a retro game store or some sort of place like that. Like you go to the, like the PlayStation Two section, and there are thousands of games that I've never heard of and aren't yeah. even available <laughs> on a PC nowadays. If I go into like any game store and look on the shelves for like a Xbox or PlayStation thing, it's stuff that I can usually get on pc or another platform unless it's like a uh like a first party exclusive but like there are mo- like so many games now are like on every platform whereas i feel 15 years ago or so during the playstation 2 era it was a lot of games you could only get on your one platform because you you like porting it would be such a pain yeah but i mean these days it's like porting it is worth it because it's yeah. not as technically demanding anymore and yeah. it makes you a lot of money back. <laughs> yeah, and now it's like every game is like available on everything for the most part. Yeah, and the like yeah. the 
absolute all-time best-selling games are all multi-platform, obviously. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, like your GTA, your Fortnite, your Minecraft, whatever. It's like you have to get into every market when you have a game that is like that popular. Yeah. See, I'm sure that just makes them like way more sales because it's like you're available to so many more people on like that particular kind of like console or style of play that they do enjoy. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't feel like exclusivity would entirely be as i guess like useful <laughs> and if it's yeah. easier technical like it's, if it's easier technologically to make sure that you can then it seems like a no-brainer yeah it seems at this point like ex- exclusive games it's not so much a matter of like hey man we couldn't be fucked afford it now it's like it's all first party stuff so it's like sony saying hey you can only play these games that we funded that are really good on our machine and we will not be porting these to other platforms because you know, these games are marketing tools. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, yeah, it's like everything's going to be on every platform because, you know, why wouldn't you put it on every platform? Yeah. I like to think about abstract future concepts. So when I see a pattern of like, like, that's why I asked the question about like, do you think like Intel or AMD would disappear at one point and things would like trend towards one single thing? Because of the way that like things are... The way that like processes get more easily understood over time and the way that manufacturing gets easier over time um i just wonder like it's good it's like it's just, it doesn't make any sense to speculate that far into the future but like 50 years from now like what does the process of making a game look like and how like streamlined is it and like how do certain aspects like market tension and just the way that companies compete against one another like how much of an impact is that that far into the future or is it just like have things been so simplified at this point that like anyone can make a game with like their pinky finger Mm -hmm. (laughs) do we achieve technological synthesis with the machines as well good things do you guys want to move on to our thoughts and pro- yeah what <laughs> oh just one quick thing about like the whole processor thing i yeah. just re- i just thought of something so mm-hmm. we, we talked about like with the consoles like architecture architecture changes and on a lot of that stuff i don't really know like what does that mean fully but i i think one thing that's interesting is um like our phones we, we've got pretty good looking like games on phones if if somebody wants to push like 3d on a phone or something yeah but they use a different type of processor than like our computers do. And I think it's called ARM or something. Okay, yeah, I forgot about that. Desktops are x86. Mm-hmm. It's like an instruction set that the processor like reads through. Mm-hmm. And the all the consoles right now are, I think, x86. All of our desktop PCs are mostly x86. With the exception of the Nintendo Switch and like mobile phones, which is ARM. Because those like are very energy efficient. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering like... Is that the only yeah, maybe, difference? Um, I mean, I'm that's assu- a, d- a dumbass question at face value. <laughs> I guess I, mean, I don't like, know. Is that the is that like the difference? Is that why you would pick one over the other? I assume so. I'm assuming that's why for like a mobile phone you would want something like that because it's energy efficient and uh, you can get it to do exactly what you want. I mean, like I'm not sure what it's pow- like how powerful they are because they don't seem to be as powerful as like the stuff we've got now on the X86. Okay, but. 
power usage wise, they are amazingly efficient. So I'm wondering in the future, will we wind up with more things like switching over to this other architecture that's just more energy efficient? Because I think some laptops are now switching over to that. Like I think Microsoft is releasing like a version of Windows that works on that type of architecture. And it's like, oh, wow, like not only is it like, oh, things are getting more and more powerful, therefore we need more and more energy. Now it's this case of things are getting kind of more powerful, but also infinite, like significantly more efficient. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious about that of like improving performance and also like cutting back on the amount of energy they need. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know much about this, but I think that's something that has already changed so much in the past like decade. And I'm wondering what like the next decade will be like. Yeah. I mean, so like for people to like do for, (laughs) for people to not destroy the planet, like I, there's obviously a lot more things that we need to take care of that aren't video games like systemic <laughs> issues with the corporations that rule the world <laughs> and the way that they are like rapidly destroying the planet but like into the far future where we're all definitely still alive um <laughs> i i don't see how you can just keep pushing and pushing the limits when you're like making new video game hardware to a point where like everyone has like a big supercomputer in their home Mm-hmm. Like that's that just doesn't make any sense as far as like sustaining a population, um, mm-hmm. I would think. But I mean, I guess like that's kind of neither here nor there right now. We need to do other things like stop putting things in the ocean. And then we can figure out where to get our energy from. Um, I still think we should just drill a big hole to the Earth's core and harvest that molten lava. I don't know why no one has has ever thought or tried this. But it seems really dangerous. No, it's just it's just down there. <laughs> just you just gotta get it out, and then you, you can, it's really hot, and that's that's our source of energy now. Wouldn't it just like melt all the things that were down there though? What's down there? It's just more lava. I'm assuming how they would get energy is maybe like like with steam power, where they just use the heat. They don't like stick something in the lava to yeah. get the energy juice. Yeah, you gotta you gotta you gotta make that steam by like dumping water down there. I don't know. I'm not an engineer. <laughs> Check this shit out. She said as <laughs> she threw a water bottle into the volcano. Free energy, my guys. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you go about it either. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, I've I've asked this before because Will and I have this thing where like I'll just ask a lot of existential questions and then we end up on Wikipedia because I'll be like, <laughs> why don't we just harness out. the power of the sun? And then and then Will's <laughs> like, well, hmm, <laughs> it's fun. I still don't know the answer to that one, but <laughs> we did one of those just a few days ago talking about the Wild West. <laughs> yeah, because we asked, like talked about that and it was like, ah, uh, I don't. I mean, I know where. I don't know when. <laughs> It was in the West. We it talked was about Buffalo wild. Bill. Yeah, and I was like, oh, oh wow. cool, for a white dude then kind of woke-ish? <laughs> kind of. Kind of. Kind of. Like, I, like, I mean, it was like the 1800s, and he did like these things called, I guess, like Wild West shows, you know, where it's like, see the brave soldiers fight off the native hordes, and like shows for East Coast and Europeans. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, so that's like pretty exploitive, and he's using like, Native Americans who have already been like gotten the shit kicked out of them. Mm-hmm. 
to go reenact these defeats or like some occasional victories of theirs. But then I read about it and I was like, oh, wow. So this was like this was a thing going on back then. Like, oh, check out Barnum Wuggum's Wild West show. Mm -hmm. Like this was a thing. And then I read about like Buffalo Bill's show. And I was like amazed that some white dude back then was like, so he he paid his like native employees like a lot of money and like room and board included of course and then like when they'd go to like european cities they would like do the show or like they'd do rehearsal on the show and then he would just kind of say like all right well i don't know you can walk around the city i don't give a shit (laughs) and and i was like oh wow that's very interesting because like most people at least white folk in the united states i would assume wouldn't like want to let like indigenous peoples roam about a beacon of western civilization or something (laughs) and then i like read up his i I don't know i just went on this weird like dive into the stuff and apparently like yeah he fundamentally viewed like natives as like equal to whites and he's like well they you know they wouldn't have won battles against the whites if they were inferior so they you know and he was like yeah I, i i want them to and then you can see other characteristics of like yes he's a person from the 1800s because he's like yes Western civilization is better, mm-hmm. but his method was like, you should let Native Americans like freely go about what they're doing and visit like cities if they want. So that way, if they see anything they like, they might be able to use that in their own communities. And I was like, yeah, that's the way it should be. Like, you, if you force this, you just wind up with like a mess. And it's like, wow, that's very neat. I mean, you know, no matter how nice he was, things still sucked ass back then. <laughs> Especially for the indigenous people. But it was like, yeah. oh, that's cool. Like, not everybody was a total monster. Just most. Good job, Buffalo Bill. Good job, Buffalo Bill. I guess. Bill. Good job, I guess. Yeah, I'm, good job, I guess. I mean, I guess. You still, yeah. I don't know. Uh, Wild West shows might be problematic. But, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, well, I'm interested to keep playing Red Dead Redemption because, like, I... They had that thing that I mentioned where, like, they talk about the natives or whatever in the beginning of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like occasionally I, I come across like gameplay footage or I come across clips of people playing Red Dead Redemption, Red Dead Redemption online or whatever. And I've never, I've never seen Native Americans in the game. I don't know if they're in the game. <laughs> Someone should tell me. I don't know. I'm just going to keep <laughs> playing and find out, I guess. I want to know how they factor into the Wild West in Red Dead Redemption, which seems like a pretty woke game so far. Why don't we, why don't we take a break? And then when we come back, we'll do our thoughts and prayers and we'll wrap up this episode. Great. And we're back and we'll wrap up the show with our thoughts and prayers. Uh, my thoughts and prayers this week are about the Disney Plus Twitter account that tweeted a really long list of films and most of them seemed like they were made up. Um, <sighs> But they're also like, I remember shit like this from when I was a kid and we just had like <laughs> piles of VHS tapes. I mean, there was some really, I sent you guys some really weird ones like 2007, The Secret of the Magic Gourd, <laughs> <laughs> where the image is like, there's a frog and he's, he looks like he's doing yoga with a, with like an anthropomorphic gourd, which is like some kind of nightmare shit, I think. Um <laughs> And then Will, you sent over College Road Trip from 2008. I don't know what that (laughs) is. I sent over the cat from outer space from 1978. (laughs) And then I sent it over as well, except my own home copy. You said that you really liked the cat from outer space, though. 
I did. I saw it a lot as a kid. I, I don't know if that was just because I, I just needed something to watch, but I liked it. I like the summary, the an entangled web of feline love, military protocol, and enemy spies. What's cooler than that? <laughs> is, the, is this actually a good movie, though? I don't know. Because I, I can't imagine a movie a... that's called The Cat from Outer Space and has such a low effort, like, artwork for its thing is, like, a good movie. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'd have to watch it again. I've got my copy. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll watch it someday. Although, to be fair, a lot of the things that they tweeted were very low effort, uh, like, art created for this thread. It was clear that a lot of these movies, especially some of the older ones, didn't have these art assets made. Because mm -hmm. why would you make digital art assets in 1986 for a movie called mm -hmm. Mr. Boogity when a computer isn't even really a thing? So, like, <laughs> yeah, a lot of these, like, it's pretty clear that they had someone go through and, like, quickly mock up some art for for the release of, of Disney+. Plus and all the things that need to become digitized so you can browse them in your, like, smart TV or whatever. There's one that's uh, the Apple Dumpling Gang rides again. <laughs> when did they ride first? I think I think we had a the Apple Dumpling Gang movie Damn. at my house when I was a kid. I don't know if I ever watched it. That just sounds very familiar. I, have I, didn't, to I didn't have Apple the sequel, though. Gang. I didn't know there was a sequel. Oh, uh, you, you should you should watch this. It goes great with Red Dead. It's a 1975 American comedy western film. Wow, the Apple <laughs> Dumpling Gang. I know I've seen one of these Witch Mountain movies. I think those got a remake, not oh, a remaster, yeah, but yeah. a remake. Yeah, they got like a weird modern Disney remake with like Disney Channel actors or something. Yeah, there's a movie in this list called candle shoe and it's like a really poorly photoshopped image of two old people who are supposed to be looking at this kid but none nobody's making the correct like eye contact oh no very cool disney plus who who else has thoughts and prayers um my thoughts and prayers this week um go out to yang at the De democratic debates on tuesday night um, I'm not sure, I don't remember exactly what the context was, like the larger context that this like quote came out of, because I feel like I was not paying attention entirely throughout the, the debate, but, um, it's when he just sort of like admitted out loud that, um, the U.S. had tampered in other people's elections um, I think the, the I have the quote pulled up and he says, quote, and we have to let Russia know, look, we get it. We have tampered with other elections. You tampered with our elections and now it has to stop. And if it does not stop, we need to take this as an act of hostility against the American people. End quote. And I think like Klobuchar, like right after he said that, she was just like aghast, like what America wouldn't meddle in people's elections? <laughs> And I just was like, or or maybe she thought it was like a weird, like it was a false equivalency or something like that. That like, and I just, I don't know. I, it just made me laugh because. You're either with us or against us. Like obviously the U.S. has meddled in people's elections. Like how many coups had the U.S., um, you know, orchestrated? Mm -hmm. But um, I don't know. I just thought that was funny. I slipped under the radar, I'm pretty sure. What I'm confused. But, um, so did he? Was he saying something that was previously unknown, or was he just saying something that 
was no, so I just obvious feel like that that's it was really obvious and people don't really say things very often and i feel yeah. like we try to pretend that like oh america isn't awful <laughs> mm-hmm. especially at like a debate for like the democratic primary candidate you know but shouts out yes definitely shouts, shouts out, out to the cool. democratic debates speaking of which uh my thoughts and prayers go out to biden how is biden still so popular that's a good question I, I still see articles about how he's like one of the front runners or and for a while he was the front runner. And it's like, how, who is supporting by who, who? I think my question there is who is deeming him the front runner? And like, there's no such thing as an objective poll. So yeah, it's just like it news or or just news organizations just like dubbing people the front runner because they want him to win. But why do they want Biden? I feel, I, don't like, know. I feel like it I feel like it's based on the how they how they conduct the polling. And I feel like most polling is still done by like home telephones. And so it's like older people who are disproportionately represented in polling data, which is why polling data is so like not useful. Um, and so I think that's like my thing. So it's like all the old people who are like, oh, good old Joe Biden, you know, way back in the day. Right. And I think that's probably why he appears to be the front runner, because I don't know anybody in real life who is like, yes, Joe Biden is my candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I guess I think George R. R. Martin on his blog talked about how he was going to vote for Joe Biden. But George R. R. Martin is also very old. So, yeah. He's like the definition mm-hmm. of old. <laughs> yes, he is. I guess I just tend to assume these days that polls are not at all accurate or adhering to facts <laughs> or anything, and that it's all just kind of like just a ruse to sway people. Because if you publish something on your news outlet that says like uh, like Biden is leading by this far in the polls, then a bunch of people are going to say that they want to hop on the biden bandwagon because you want to be on the winning side so Damn, which is a which is a dystopian view of politics yeah i i want to win i mean polling polling data doesn't like predict Mm -hmm. elections you know it's just like a measure of like what people are thinking at any given moment right so i think i think that is you know an issue that we have just like with you know, statistical literacy in America and how I guess the media has portrayed polls and, you know, all the the pundits are like, oh, and the polls and Nate Silver is like, oh, the polls. Right. And so I don't know. Why do we not have better systems to like measure things with? Like we have the Internet now. Why do we need telephones? I have no idea. I don't know why it has to be like home phones. Maybe because you know, it's so controlled and it's not just like some random person retweeted the link. And so it was the there was like a sampling bias, I suppose. But I guess even with the whole like home phone numbers like that is a sampling bias, like in and of itself. Right. Because it's like, yeah, I don't have I a get... fucking home phone. I don't but even think my parents choosing, have a home like, phone. Who to call and like, you know what, like what districts they're in and what if there's like gerrymandered districts? Yeah. But then but with like an online thing, you've also got the case of you can't control who's going to answer that or whether exactly. or not they're going to like rig a poll because every online poll mm-hmm. gets rigged in one way or another because 
there's just like no there's no real way to like absolutely verify one person gets one vote mm-hmm. and even then what about i don't i don't know it's just like what about communities with like poor access to like internet and stuff like that it's just ugh, what a mess I wish they would disclose more information about how polling data was collected. Yeah. You know, we're like, this is the age range of the people who were sampled. This is where they were located. These are the district breakdowns. Just so it was like a little bit, you know, I guess more transparent as opposed to just like, oh, Biden's leading in seven polls. I But I do think it's frustrating that like your eligibility for the Democratic debates is based off of these like really asinine kind of, I guess, polling requirements when like is it the, aren't, aren't the debates supposed to like serve as a way for you know, the candidates to engage and for like ideas to be exchanged yeah and for voters to learn about like what their platforms are but mm-hmm. instead it's like did you get on the stage nope yeah well shouts out joe biden <laughs> thank you joe biden i think there's and I've, people have talked before about like the difference between the internet in america versus say like china where it's heavily regulated by the government Mm -hmm. but i do think there are like elements of the way that internet is in china that would benefit american internet greatly like for one thing there's so much like violence that occurs because of anonymity on the internet oh yeah and i i do think that there's a way to create some sort of unhackable verifiable like government based identity system on the internet in america that could be used to make a lot of people's lives easier but also that has never been done so like it must be a lot more difficult than i think it is i also feel like it's challenging if you if if, you know internet it's it's not a public utility you know it's all owned by these like companies but like if it was a public utility, I think that might be a thing that you could do, right? Where you have like every single house is hooked up to, you know, you have like your special code that you get when you like need to sign up for electricity, right? Yeah. Like why can't we do that here? I think it's good that like the, the Democratic candidates internet. have been talking seriously about issues like not that specifically, but like Facebook and big tech and breaking mm-hmm. up big tech. Because I do think at a certain point, and I don't know who can do it. But someone, like at some point, we need to acknowledge the fact that the internet shouldn't be controlled by corporations. So, like, I don't know how that transition works. I don't know if it does need to become a public utility. But there is, like, there's this weird disconnect. Like, the internet is such a, like, it's such an ingrained part of society. Yeah, it's almost like a requirement to participate in society. Especially, like, in urban environments, you know? Yeah, like, it's something that is very helpful. It is very dangerous. It's just, like, it's embedded into everything we do. And it shouldn't be... Like, I shouldn't I, I shouldn't have to deal with... I have a one-terabyte data cap because there's just a monopoly <laughs> on the internet in my area. <laughs> that's so stupid. Anyway, that's neither here nor there, I suppose. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah but that's the podcast i suppose that's hit point pals for this week you can follow us on twitter at hit point pals do you guys want to talk about where you are on twitter or should we just keep skipping that like we usually do i think we can just you can skip find it. me oh, oh yep you can find me somewhere uh you're not gonna find out here 
<laughs> all right that's all we have for this week uh we'll see you all next time up today outside it was just like gray overcast it's been gray and overcast all day i just don't feel like doing anything yeah it's been ra very rainy today um Oof. i didn't have a raincoat so that was a little bit of a a bit of a bummer my jacket smells weird when it gets wet i don't know why <laughs> okay and it's kind of unpleasant. Yeah, I don't know. Have you it's ever like tried a, like washing it? Like maybe it's just yeah, a filthy it jacket. It needs to be. I don't need to be dry cleaned. It's just it's a huge Oof. asshole. I try to play Beat Saber most days, but when I got home today, um, I had gotten home late. First of all, so that was one thing, and I had to get ready for the podcast. But also, my Roomba had like, because I usually I try to get all the cords off the floor before I leave the house if i know the roomba's going to clean um but the roomba had like gotten my earbuds which are connected to my <laughs> oculus and had like it, it, it had like gotten tangled up in the like wheel of the roomba and it had been dragging my <laughs> oculus across the floor of my room so i just came home to this like mess of like the roomba didn't know what to do and like my oculus was in the middle of the room and like these earbuds were just like all tangled to hell so i had to spend like a half hour trying to get untangled <laughs> i still don't know if they work i'm sure they do this should They're... be your thoughts and prayers <laughs> no I just thought you guys should know. I don't really have anything else to say about that. So you so, could actually yeah. pray for your earbuds. No, I'm sure they're fine. If not, they were like five bucks. So yesterday I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw a picture from Poorly Drawn Lines of the little ghost pin. And then I remember that I bought a ghost pin for Cam for our anniversary I totally forgot about it, and I have no idea where I put it. Oh, and so oh, I was has like, "Your anniversary come and gone." Yeah, your anniversary oh. was September twenty fifth. Okay, and um, I have no idea where I put it because I ordered it when Cam was gone to Idaho, like the very end of August, beginning of September, and then I had my eye surgery, and so I, you know wasn't home for a bit and then forgot and i guess i cleaned my desk and i put it somewhere and i have no idea where it is how are you gonna scare anyone i don't know i don't know do you think that's what ghosts talk about i don't really know what how ghosts gonna talk about do you think ghosts talk with one another oh absolutely is there like is there like a ghost reality where like if you're a ghost you can still see the people in the real world but you can also see other ghosts? Uh yeah. 
would it be very crowded? Um, it depends. I mean, if, if it's out in the middle of nowhere where no one's ever been, you're probably just surrounded by, like, I don't know, squirrel ghosts. But what if you lived then, in, like, a building that was, like, a hundred years old and, like, well, multiple generations of people had lived and died there? Well, I don't think everybody... Be... I don't think... Oh, yeah, not everybody becomes a ghost. That's yeah. true. I wonder how people become ghosts. I'm sure they First, you have too. to die. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to play a game where you are a new ghost, and you have to figure out why you're a ghost. And then you have to figure out what to do to move on. So it's like a mystery game, but instead of like being the detective, you're the person who got killed? Yes. And, and it's like, just really... Who the fuck but it's very unclear. Or you don't necessarily have to have been killed. Although that would work. You could have maybe died of a disease or something, but what, whatever it is, you have to figure out what your, like, sort of unfinished ghost business is and then accomplish it. I like that. The game will be 60 hours long. Have a lot of <laughs> side quests for your ghost. <laughs> and it'll be a Metroidvania. What will the DLC look like? Uh... Do you Man, think you could add know. in like zombies or some like other kind? It would of... have to, it would have to be one of those like mid game DLCs because because the end of the game would be you move on from being a ghost so there couldn't be more to do. It would have to be one of those yeah. DLCs that like you buy to play a new game or you buy a vampire game of the moves year into the house down the street. You got to deal with that. <laughs> All right, um, shall I bring us back? Uh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes.